0: Oh, money. I want to go to Iceland. I want to go, but oh, it costs money. Go, money. I want, I want, I want, I want I want, money.
1: I want to go. Now I want to go to Iceland. Want to go to Iceland? Volcanoes. Iceland. Iceland's the one that's green, actually. Greenland isn't green. Greenland's the one that's icy. I think that there was a strange sort of historical thing. I don't remember all the details, but it has something to do with uh, trying to convince Danish settlers that they should come. So they uh, they lied. They called it Greenland, and it wasn't really green. And then they called Iceland, which has lots of volcanic activity and is actually more uh, comfortable. Called it Iceland to scare people away. So there you go. I might be completely full of shit on that. It's something somebody told me a long time ago, and I may have mis- misconstrued it or... Filled in missing gaps in the years since then. In any case, that was uh, today's guest. Uh, the name of the band is uh, Alexandrian Lanes. And the name of the guy is Aiden Rayleigh. And um, we didn't talk about music, actually. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed in that now. <laughs> uh, but, uh we we did have a very interesting conversation. Aiden came up to me after the the gig I did with Duncan Trussell here in Portland. I was hanging out in the bar. Duncan and I were talking to people, and this guy came up to me really friendly, um, uh, you know, light in his eyes, which you always like to see, and uh, he just said, uh, hey, how you doing? You know, I've been listening to your podcast, whatever, and we chatted a little bit, and it came out that he was uh sort of an american gypsy traveling on the road someone you might call uh a hobo without uh any any negative intention at all in fact he in our our conversation he talks about uh feeling pride at uh, referring to himself as a hobo and the hobo tradition so he's uh you know he's a guy who uh, as you'll hear 4 years ago just basically said yeah fuck it this isn't really working and he hit the road and he's been on it ever since and um we we did he mentioned to me that uh that he had done some music but um you know a lot of people say they've done music and in a very casual offhand way and that means you know they play a little guitar or whatever but um I went back, I went and looked up the website that he mentions in the podcast and downloaded uh, the two records that are on there, and there's some really good music. I mean, really good music here. So uh, I'm going to... I texted him, but it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, so uh, he won't see it till tomorrow. Um, I'm going to assume that it's cool with him that I use his music in the podcast. Uh, if if you're hearing this, it means that it is. <laughs> if, if it turns out in the morning, he says, no, don't use my music, then I'll, I'll go back and edit all this out. Um, but uh, assuming it's cool with him, I'm going to intersperse some of his songs uh, throughout the conversation. I've never really done that, but uh, what the hell, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm having fun. Uh, as you can probably hear, I've got, a pretty serious cold, and so I don't want to, uh, to uh, you know, impose this disgusting, mucus-laden voice on you for too long. Um, but I do want to say, uh, I do want to mention a couple of things that have been going on recently. Um, I I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, I had this idea that I was going to go to a gym and, like, really, you know, work myself back into shape and that I would talk about the process on the podcast and it would be sort of like a, um, like a product placement, you know, not really a straight up sponsorship where somebody, you know, this gym or that gym is paying me money or something, but they'd give me a discount and we'd, I'd sort of track my progress. So I found this gym in Portland called studio FX and uh, I chose it mainly because the Yelp reviews were so good. And I went down and checked it out and met the owner and um, did a couple like intro classes. And it's uh, it's sort of like a CrossFit approach. You know, they've got the uh, different suspension systems and, you know, it's a, it's a gym. It's not like a dance studio or yoga or whatever, although I think they do have a yoga class at this point. Um, but it, you know, it's the the, um, the it's a CrossFit approach, but but they're chilled, they're they're relaxed. It's not competitive and yelling and screaming and you know, um, high, super high intensity you know workout until you're vomiting. Although <laughs> I'm so out of shape that sort of doing a light workout, I end up getting all for some reason I like white out and feel nauseated and, you know, not good. So I went down there like five times and every time I had to stop halfway through cause I, I was like, I couldn't see and stuff. So I don't know. My, my wife, the doctor thinks I may be anemic. Um, I don't know whether, I'm anemic or I am, uh, just so fucking out of shape that, uh, even that workout wipes me out. Or if I've got some, you know, psychological association with gyms that freak me out. So anyway, I'm, uh, buying a bike instead and doing yoga and I'm going to try to get back into Aikido and, uh, We'll see how that works out. If I start passing out an Aikido class, then I know I'm in trouble. But I do did just want to say, if you're in Portland and you're looking for a good workout and uh, some really nice people, check out Tim uh, down at Studio FX. He's a great guy. Uh, to tell you how great he is, every time I worked out, he texted me the next day to ask me how I was feeling. Um, and... He, uh, you know, cut me a really nice deal on like, you know, 10 sessions with a personal trainer and all that. And I never got around to, to even paying for it because, you know, every time I tried to go down, I ended up like losing my shit. Um, but in any case, I, I wrote to him and, and said, look, I I just don't think I'm going to do this. I'm going to do yoga instead and whatever. And, uh, but, but I want to pay you guys for the time you've put into this. Cause they worked out a program and, you know, tested my, uh, body fat content and did all this sort of analysis. And, uh, I said, you know, is, is a hundred bucks fair? And he wrote back and, and it was very friendly. And he said, yeah, man, if you want to, if you want to, you know, throw a hundred bucks, uh, into this for what we've done, that's fine. But, Uh, I'd like you to to just make a donation to this, um, this charity, this house that helps, uh, AIDS patients in Portland. So I did. Um, and, uh, that's the kind of guy he is, right? It's like, yeah, okay. It's fair. If you want to, if you want to pay for what we've done, pay this charity. That's cool. So, um, really good karma, good people. I highly recommend it if you're not like an incredibly out of shape 52 year old, or even if you are and you're just a little, uh, a little more persistent than I am or not anemic, (laughs) whatever the fuck my problem is. So yeah, I'm not drinking the month of October. We'll see how I feel at the end of the month. And um, I'm on a low carb diet. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll be like all energized and writing the book and riding around on my new bike and everything soon the other interesting thing that's happening is a friend of mine who actually was on the podcast a while ago you might remember tim killian um former mormon who talked about what it was like to to grow up in the mormon world and he was a true believer uh right through i think he said through his first marriage um Anyway, we had a really interesting conversation. Check it out in the archives. Um, But Tim has started a new business called uh, Shower Jerk. And what it is is a special lube um, for people who like to masturbate in the shower. (laughs) So it's like it's this lube that's activated by water. And uh, it's, you know, it's made out of uh, silicone and, uh, but special kind of silicone mixture that, uh, is kind of gooey outside of water. But once it hits, once there's water involved, then it gets all slippery and and interesting. So if you like jerking off in the shower or are curious as to whether you might like jerking off in the shower, uh, or, you know, someone who does, um, go to showerjerk.com Again, this is not a sponsorship. Um, I have not tried it. I haven't jerked off in the shower for a long time. Um, not not because of any sort of shame or anything. It's more just a logistical thing, you know. I don't want to bring my laptop into the shower. Um, but... <laughs> If uh, if you're curious about it, check it out. Sur- uh, not Circle Jerk. Shower Jerk. Shower Jerk dot com. Uh, tell them Chris sent you. All right. So uh, just a reminder, the music you'll hear throughout this episode is all um, written uh, and uh, performed by my guest, Aiden Rayleigh, And the name of, uh, of the... The, it's not really a band. It seems to be him solo, but it's, uh, it's called Alexandrian Lanes. He told me he was reading a book about uh, Alexandria, Egypt, and there was a description of how wide the lanes were through Alexandria, and uh, so that's sort of the genesis of the name. Um, but you can, you can find this music at Bandcamp. Dot .com and uh you can download your own copies and he's got it set up as uh you know pay pay what you will kind of situation so throw him a few bucks if you enjoy the music and download uh the albums for yourself. You I think I think you'll you'll dig him after you hear uh some of the snippets I'm going to throw in here. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really enjoyed getting to to spend some time with this guy. Um, you know, completely random out of nowhere kind of guest, but often those are the most interesting guests, you know, the, the people who, um, just sort of show up, uh, and I'm really glad that, uh, that we got a chance to, to hang out. And I hope Aiden, if you're out there listening, I hope, um, uh, I hope the roads you're on lead you to where you want to be. I'm sure they will. All right. You want to just do a sound check on that?
0: Sure.
1: One, one, one. All right. Okay, good. So, what, what name do you want to use? Are so you going to use your real name? Yeah. Or, yeah. And what is your real
2: name? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Aiden Rayleigh. Aiden Rayleigh. Known to some as Harley Girl?
1: Really? harley girl
2: yeah that's that's like my traveling moniker that i almost never use but
1: (laughs) all right i'm sitting here in the plush studios of tangentially speaking tangentially speaking central headquarters with aiden raley who uh be careful if you lean back you're gonna hit your head on that (laughs) desk (laughs) the studios aren't aren't that plush actually uh Anyway, I'm here with Aiden Rayleigh, who I met the other night after the show with Duncan Trussell here in Portland. Uh, He came up to me and we were chatting a little bit, and it turns out that Aiden's been on the road for four years, is that right?
2: Four years in December.
1: Four years, and uh, you're 28, you said? Yes. So, sort of your your mid-20s, you've been on the road in the United States the whole time?
2: In the United States.
1: Right. All right so get us into that what what does this mean to be to be on the road you're not uh you're not on a an amtrak uh pass right you're not on a greyhound tour what are you doing
2: oh uh, no just um uh, hitchhiking around walking um finding rides with people where I can um hopping on an occasional train um yeah
1: mm so you just sort of I think the other night we talked about hobos and how there's sort of a tradition, vagabonding, you know, there are different names for it with different connotations. But there's this sort of romantic tradition in American culture of the rambling man, the you know, no grass grows on the rolling stone, that sort of thing. Um, So are you moving for the sake of moving? Are you moving looking for work? Are you running away from a you know crazy past or what do you what's moving you
2: um well uh i think like the original definition of a hobo is somebody who travels and works and then you've got um like your your tramps who travel and don't work and then (laughs) your your bums who do neither
1: (laughs) Uh, they can't Um, even be bothered to travel yeah so
2: like i'm definitely flattered by the term hobo but um i started traveling just to do something different and because uh just wanted that adventure. Right. Um, and then after that, like, just the lifestyle took over and I haven't been able to put it down yet.
1: Mm. So. Where, where did you start? Where'd you grow up?
2: Um, I was actually born in Paris. My family lived in Southeast Asia for a while. Mm. Um, uh, spent time in Cambodia and in the Philippines um, when I was really young. And then we moved to Texas. And uh, my traveling started in Austin, Texas when I was 24, I guess. Hmm. So yeah.
1: What what were you doing in Southeast Asia? What what took your family there?
2: Uh my dad worked for a Christian funded organization called World Vision. Ah. and he was doing overseas medicine, I guess in the wake of the the genocide and Oof. uh Khmer Rouge and everything right. like that, yeah.
1: Do you remember any of that or were you really little?
2: I was I I was pretty little. I think I left there when I was like 6 or 7. Hmm. And um so, I mean, I remember the place. I remember certain situations, but
1: yeah. were you in Phnom Penh?
2: Probably. I yeah. my family doesn't really talk about it that much. So. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: And were you there like the first six years of your life? Yes. So I'll bet you spoke Khmer.
2: I might have then, <laughs> but but yeah, not anymore.
1: That's bizarre. Man.
2: Everybody in my family is like multilingual, and I'm like the only one that. Didn't get any of that because I, I came very late. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But still, that first six years—that's that's pretty, for, you know, formative as far as your brain architecture and all that. Mm-hmm. So, if you were you in school, um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. They probably were, you know, keeping you at home. I mean, they wouldn't send you to a Cambodian school, not not right after the genocide. Cambodia's still fucked. Right. I was there ten years ago, hmm. but I wonder if you ever went back there and you know we're exposed to the language if you would have some sort Things of would like come back in interesting resonance with it yeah like you would learn it in 3 months or something you know yeah that,
2: my brother and sister spoke tagalog oh uh, a little bit yeah. and um yeah I actually survived a coup attempt at you, one point i don't know the details i just know that there were bullet holes in the wall and my sister wrote this little letter to somebody in our family and like it said that like we thought we heard rats, but it was just water dripping through the bullet holes. <laughs> like wow. in like a scrawling, you know, little kid hand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was in the Philippines?
2: Uh, that was in Cambodia. Oh,
1: in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. All right. Well, that's interesting. That's an uh, interesting way to to be raised. And they were doing, you said it was World Vision, it was called? Yeah, he was doing medicine. Yeah, uh, like I eye surgery or glasses or something
2: uh I mean, he just set up these little gorilla tent hospitals and um he just kind of did it all
1: so he's a medical doctor yeah wow interesting what's his specialization
2: uh infectious disease and um pediatrics
1: huh mm-hmm. well he must be following this ebola thing with uh, a lot of interest
2: He's always following like, whatever disease is, yeah. is in the, the media, yeah.
1: Yeah, wow. And he's in Austin? Your family's still down there?
2: No, he, he's been living in Houston for a long time. He's actually thinking about moving to North Carolina.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool.
2: Much to my sister and my dismay. Is that where your sister Just is? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So, uh, okay, so you grew up, you mentioned earlier your family's quite conservative, mm-hmm. um, and, and obviously Christian, they were doing this work sort of almost missionary work?
2: Actually, my mother's family, is it's like this missionary dynasty. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: So so you've got that. You're growing up all over the place. Uh, did you go to, did you finish high school, go to college, anything like that?
2: I dropped out of high school. Um, I put myself through a couple years of community college before I just realized that I just didn't like it at all and didn't yeah. want to do it, so.
1: Why'd you drop out of high school? Same thing, just weren't digging it?
2: uh yeah, problems at home um i was i was in a band a lot of my bandmates had dropped out and i honestly kind of wish i had dropped out sooner because it thus far has had no repercussions on me you know and when i did drop out and move out of the house that was that was really a great time
1: hmm so that, that was so it was an improvement yes it, it was, was
2: a, it was very much an improvement for yeah. me at the time
1: yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, i can understand that uh,
0: yeah,
2: I did try to get my degree online, but they, they got me through some sort of technicality with sending in my papers and stuff and right. I was going to have to do the whole thing over again, buy it all over again. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I get emails from people, you know, often asking, you know, you know, how, what should I get my PhD and I want to, you know, have an interesting life like you or career or whatever. And man, it's just, I, I'm telling them, don't f- forget it. Forget it. You know, you're going to go $100,000 into debt to get an advanced degree that's worth nothing, you know, much less a BA. Fuck. Become an electrician, you know. Learn how to build something, make something, do something. You know, just sitting around thinking isn't going to pay unless you like start a company or something. And even then, it's a, it's a long shot. Anyhow, so... uh so, just to sort of follow the the biographical stuff so you' you drop out of school you 're in a band what do you play what's your instrument
2: uh, at the time, I was playing drums, but um no, I mostly play guitar and sing. Oh,
1: okay, so you've got musical talent, and you're doing this. You're you're not into you're not digging Texas high school. You're not were you like a football player? Isn't that everybody's a football player in Texas?
2: <laughs> no, I was I was probably the antithesis
1: of a football player. So there's your problem right there. <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not banging any cheerleaders. You're not a football player. You're fucked in Texas. Yeah, uh, and then uh, so then you're like okay, twenty four years old trying to do the the college thing the community college thing you're not digging that so what happened
2: i mean i would given up on it at that point and i was uh, i think because i you know i moved out of the house young um in texas i don't know about other states you're allowed to do that at 17 and i i got a lot of satisfaction out of just like pulling myself up by my bootstraps Hmm. you know but um that was getting really old uh and i wasn't really doing much um and uh I kind of got screwed over by my jobs, uh, couldn't maintain my rent, Um, so I moved in with a buddy was staying on his couch, and I had a job, but uh, it was like an hour and a half commute. Mm. Um, Yeah, I was commuting like, you know, two or three hours a day in Austin, I-35, is like a terribly congested interstate, and I had this old car, and uh, one day I cracked the block on my car, so couldn't get to my job, so I had no job, no car. I'd already been on my buddy's couch for about, you know, a month or two months. And, uh, I was just like, I can try to build this all from the ground up just to get back to where I was, which I wasn't very happy with, Mm. you know, or I had a couple friends who had been doing this. Uh, one of them who'd been doing it for six or seven years already. Um, and it was very enticing. So I said, I'll just do this for six months and then I can come back to all this Mm -hmm. and, uh, more than one person told me, like in my first six months of traveling, they're like, "Yeah, you're not, you're not going back to, to Texas, like to live again."
1: <laughs> yeah, once once you check out of the grind, it's kind of hard to think about going back to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to get back to it, even if you you decide you're gonna, you know, like you go back and start applying for jobs, and everyone's gonna say, "Well, what have you been doing the last six months or four years or whatever?" And then you got to come up with some story, right? Because mm-hmm. they can't imagine that you would just check out, you know. But, but also from, from your perspective or my perspective, like I haven't had a job, you know, since the nineties mm-hmm. and now it's like, fuck, take, get a job, you get a like piss in a cup. What? How is it your fucking business if I got high last weekend?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I
1: mean, what, what is going on in this country? It's become a prison. It's amazing.
2: I've, I've been online looking at payroll jobs in places that I've kind of hunkered down in for like a few months. And it like kind of turns my stomach just like reading their. Re- they always have these ridiculous requirements yeah. for like a minimum wage job. They right. want you to be like, you know, we're only looking for the very best right. to get <laughs> exactly. like, this, like shitty job <laughs> to, to yeah. load
1: boxes into a truck. You know, you've got to have pride and, you know, you know, never- charisma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, how about if I've got biceps and a strong back? What about that? Uh, it's amazing. You used to be able to get a job with that in this country. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so you so you hit the road. Did you have money when you took off? Did you have like some some buffer?
2: No, I mean I had a little bit. You know, like maybe like a hundred, two hundred dollars. Mm. Um, and yeah.
1: And where did you go? Like, uh, what was it? Okay, so you're you're on your buddy's sofa, mm-hmm. and you go back and you're like packing your stuff up. You have a backpack or something, or yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're packing your stuff up and, and you're telling your buddy, you know, thanks, I'm going to just hit the road for a while. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that?
2: I mean, he thought it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was excited about it. I, he was like, eh, I wish I could go with you. Um,
1: Happy to have his sofa back. Right, yeah. No,
2: He was. <laughs> he's awesome. That's cool. uh, but, it's uh, good to have.
1: That's a real buddy, right? Like, oh, yeah. There are friends and there are friends who will let you sleep on their sofa when you lose your job or your car breaks I down. Have,
2: profound respect for those people. Yeah. And as soon as I have that to offer to other people, I I plan yeah. on offering it to pretty much anyone.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the big things you learn when you put yourself in this position, right? That mm-hmm. I mean I never did what you're doing for four years. I traveled a lot, but I had some money. I had an American Express card and if I got in real trouble my parents would have bailed me out, you mm-hmm. know. And in fact they did one time. Flew me back from Guatemala when I got hepatitis. But um so it's not. I, I don't want to say it's the same kind of thing, but uh, one thing that I learned hitchhiking and you know sleeping on people's sofas and all that is how, um, how sacred that is, you know. And and that's the same thing I learned is like, fuck it, man. I am going to give back. You know, I'm 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 not just going to take all this stuff that's coming to me and forget about it. You know, mm-hmm. just swallow it and not, don't think about it again. It, you gotta. You see yourself as part of a circuit, you know, and yeah,
2: and once you've been around those people so much, and then you go like sometimes you know I'll go visit um well you know, like my mom um and or just I don't know, not those people, it's kind of baffling like how how different it is it's, right, yeah,
1: the people who get it and who have been part of it, and people right. who are just living there zero-sum games and yeah you know i win you lose and yeah. it's
2: such a wonderful thing like for everybody yeah. you know so
1: yeah it's, it's frustrating it's, <laughs> you're right for everybody I, I remember one time some guy i don't remember who it was but i remember somebody picked me up hitchhiking and you know it was one of those great rides where you really click with the guy and next thing you know he takes you home and you meet his wife and his kids and you're having dinner and you're sleeping in the guest room. And it's just like, now you're a family friend, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I think I stayed with him like a couple of days. And then I remember he was going to drive me out to the, like the best possible place to start hitching again. Cause where they were was away from the highway. So he, he was going to drive like an hour each way to drop me off at the highway. Yeah. Instead of like, okay, see you later and walk out the door, right?
2: Yeah, I guess you were to where you need to be. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I remember on the, and I was like, no, don't worry, it's fine. I'll just walk for a while. Someone will give me a ride. No, no, I've been so much trouble. And, and I was really like feeling cheapish about it. And I remember we were driving out and I was saying again, like, man, I, I just feel like so, um, I kind of feel uncomfortable. You've done so much for me. And I remember him saying to me, dude, you need to learn to accept a gift. <laughs> and it really, it really struck me because he was getting irritated. You know, yeah, he's that, like, "Will you shut the fuck irritate up. Irritate
2: people. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like I'm doing this because it feels good for me. Right. 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 Because when I was your age, people did it for me and I owe the bank and I want to pay back into that account, you know, that I took a lot out of. And mm-hmm. I, this is my way of putting money or energy or karma or whatever back into that account. And it's like it's not even about you. So just shut the fuck up and let me take you to the highway, you know. Oh yeah. 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 It, it's you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Was that I've h- gotten
2: a lot i was I was the same way for a long time, very just like walking on eggshells. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Do I smell too bad? Yeah. yeah Yeah.
1: Well, one time I was hitchhiking in upstate New York. Uh this is when I was in college. I was just going from Geneva to Oswego, where my girlfriend was going to school, which I think was two or three hours. It wasn't a huge deal. Two or three hours drive, you know, Mm -hmm. so that could be a two-day hitch, depending on your luck. But I remember I was standing by the side of the road. It was farm country way out in the middle of nowhere. And this truck was coming along, like this farm, you know, typical kind of farm truck lugging stuff around. And it was like low gear and like, no, they're not going to stop for me. So I'm just standing there watching them go by. And as the truck goes by, I'm sprayed with something liquid. And I look at the back of the truck and it's full of onions (laughs) and the weight of the onions were crushing the ones on the bottom. Right. And so there was onion juice dripping out of the back of this truck. Onion dusted. (laughs) I got onion dusted. Exactly. And so i'm standing there now i'm like i'm still two hours from where i need to go and people are you know driving by and i'm thinking <laughs> oh you know i hope you stop but fuck, it's gonna be painful and this woman stopped and i get in the car and i was like look i just got sprayed by an onion truck if you, if you don't want to <laughs> what does that even me. mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: exactly it was a worst case scenario Anyway, so uh what are we talking about? Uh oh the the uh the acquired skill of learning to take to to accept the generosity. So that was hard for you too, huh?
2: Yeah. Um probably a lot cuz of like how I was raised, but I was but also I was raised very Christian and um you dig into those scriptures and mm. there's a lot, you know, about exactly what we're talking about and mm-hmm. also specifically about um, accepting strangers and travelers. I think like yeah, in the Old Testament, the term sojourner is used, the mm-hmm. stranger or the sojourner. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: testament talked a lot about uh you know taking care of the the vulnerable the poor you know giving to those who have nothing etc etc yeah i mean that's central to the the true christian message not the one that's been you know the propaganda that's been uh put out i don't know are you do you consider yourself christian no um
2: but on that like yeah i mean jesus and the disciples were they were hobos. <laughs> yeah. You know, I right. mean, there's a, all the scriptures are there to support it. And then uh, I feel like it's a very neglected thing because some of them speak very specifically about, you know, that and about being able to receive gifts and about not being afraid to ask. Um,
1: and about finding salvation and wisdom when you renunciate all that you have. Right. Mm-hmm, right. The, it's the the grace of poverty. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is also in Buddhism. It's the same thing. Right. You when you're really ready to get serious about your spirituality, you walk away from everything you own. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the, the only path. I think you're right. That's an interesting. You now, there's a book you'll write someday. Jesus, the hobo.
2: Right. The The best way it was put to me is, I guess, there's a scripture in the New Testament where Jesus says, uh, in so many words, like, go from town to town, you know, and if, if they don't receive you, uh, like, shake the dust off your sandals at the gates of the city or something like that. And a friend of mine told me, he's like, basically what he was saying, like, is like, you know, just go to this place. If they don't hook you up, fuck, em. fuck them. <laughs> keep walking. <laughs> yeah, keep walking. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I had an argument with somebody that was saying, like, no, they were tent makers. And I was like, you think just, like, everywhere they went, they just, like, started making tents? Like, where are they getting these materials? Where are they getting the money for the materials? And I mean, I'm sure they worked, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they took jobs where they got them probably. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and if you can change water into wine, you don't really need to do a lot of work, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a pretty good gig right there.
2: Yeah, but they were dirty, and I'm sure they were... Asking people to stay in their you know stables and share a meal. Well, or, that's
1: the you know that's right yeah. from the beginning. You know, before the kid was yeah. born, he was a hobo. Yeah, they yeah. probably
2: had shitty cell phones that like didn't get reception anywhere. Of course.
1: You know? yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So you're a hobo with a cell phone and a and a. Uh, what do you have? An iPad or something?
2: No, I have a, I have a Samsung.
1: You have a Samsung. Yeah, I, <laughs> I invested in it two years ago. I financed it. You financed it, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you get the extended warranty? Yeah,
2: well, I don't know. <laughs> it's been really helpful I, yeah
1: that's funny <laughs> i can see it like a you know an, an ad for samsung you know like tested hobo tough yeah 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 we made this so okay so you're so you you're like fuck it the car is broken down the the job's fucked whatever i'm out of here so you you what'd you do do you hop a train do you hitchhike where what'd you do from austin
2: I started hitchhiking, um, and I went up to, uh, my first trip was up to Canada. I mm. uh, tried to get into Canada, got rejected.
1: Where, at Vancouver? Or where, um, you
2: I was headed up to Montreal. So I think yeah. where I, I specifically tried to enter through uh, Roosh's Point, mm. New York, because it was a very small um, border crossing. Right. It was just like a little booth. Right. And I was like, maybe somebody's just reading the newspaper. <laughs> I so just,
1: was that the first hitch you'd done? Yeah. Really, from Austin to upstate New York,
2: starting December first. So Fuck. I, I got the whole winter. Um, I was it was February in Vermont when I was there, so uh, it was it was a cool little trial I did by that fire.
1: Once I was in Vermont hitching once in winter. It was snowing like a motherfucker. I was in Burlington, I think is the oh, town. That's a, I like that place. A it lot. was a nice town, but it was freezing cold in the middle of the night, right. and I was I, and I, I had nowhere to sleep. And I had mm-hmm. no money. I was on my way to Montreal as well. I think. Fuck, I don't even remember where I was going. But I remember it was snowing. It was freezing cold. And I was sitting in a bus, uh, like a bus shelter, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just trying to get out of the wind. And these two pretty giggling Asian girls came and sat down and started chatting with me and invited me to dinner. Nice. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I'll go <laughs> anywhere to get out of this. Right. So I go to dinner. It turns out they were Moonies. Are there? I don't even know if Moonies still exist. Moonies—it was the sect run by this guy, the Reverend Sun Young Moon or something from Korea. And there are thousands of them. and They've had yeah, these big weddings. That, yeah. So they took me back to this, moon, this Moonie thing, uh, where we all had spaghetti, and then like I had to watch this movie about the Moonies and. You know, they want to know if I wanted to join. And I was like, well, can I think about it? And what, you know, can I sleep on it? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, you can sleep here. And they gave me a little place to, to crash for the night. So, yeah. Well, OK, so here's the thing. When you're there's a sort of openness, right? When you're when you're vulnerable, you're on the road, it's cold, whatever. You might be open to having conversations with people that uh in other parts of your life, you might. A, you never meet them. And B, if you did meet him, you probably avoid.
2: Uh, yeah, well, I, I've been like a very shy person, mm. and um, you know, sort of the guy that takes the table furthest in the corner, right? Um, and just being on the road like really helped me um, be able to talk to just about anybody,
1: right? Because you never know who the fuck's gonna pull over, right? Yeah, and nine times I, mean, I don't know if you experienced this, but in my experience, nine times out of ten, they're freaky, not necessarily in a bad way, mm-hmm. but normal and i'm using i'm doing air quotes mm-hmm. around normal here normal people don't pick up hitchhikers
2: right uh, yeah and it blows my mind how many thousands of people will pass you up and the only thing that i don't get sour about it except people with truck beds i'm like i'm like i'm not a danger yeah. to you you don't have right. to talk to me you don't have to smell me <laughs> like and honestly you can take me wherever the hell you want to like i should be more worried about So, um, but is, but isn't
1: that illegal now to have somebody in the back of your truck?
2: It it depends on the state, but also I think it's one of those things that cops rarely are going to, they have to just be like an asshole.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, and you can lie down too. The guy could say, you know, Hey, lie down so nobody can see you and you would. right, Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. Yeah. That, that you're right. That's a thing that you have to work to not get pissed off when you're being rejected, over and over and over and over and over, and you need to keep a positive demeanor because that's someone... just
2: yeah one aspect of that. That's not even like being on the street and right. you know and just the whole response to you, you right. know, being this living this different lifestyle, you know. So yeah, a lot of people get really really bitter and jaded. Yeah, um, so Which, and I've been there too. So <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, so have I, and and that spirals downward though, because then you get bitter, you get pissed off, you get negative. And that attracts negative energy to you, right? Which is just making everything worse. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you need to be is positive and energetic and happy because then somebody picks you up and it's like you're a nice person to hang out with. So then they invite mm-hmm. you home and they you know drive you out to the Taking highway. Take a
3: close look at, at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder and we in comparison to the articulate vileness and baseness and obscenity of all this jungle, uh, we in comparison to that enormous articulation we only sound and look like badly pronounced and half-finished sentences out of a stupid suburban novel, a cheap novel. And we have to become humble in front of this overwhelming misery and overwhelming fornication and overwhelming growth and overwhelming lack of order even the, the stars up here in the, in the sky look like a mess there is no harmony in the universe we have to get acquainted to this idea that there is no real harmony as we have conceived it But when I say this, I say this all full of admiration for the jungle. It is not that I hate it. I love it. I love it very much. But I love it against my better judgment.
1: talking about uh, sort of maintaining um, a particular positive energy when you're on the road. There's like a cloud. It, it's almost a protective cloud in a way. Um, I One of the things I learned from traveling and, and being sort of vulnerable in the way we're talking about and see if you agree with this. I, I, I was struck by the notion that fear precedes danger. You know, we think of the causality the opposite way. We think that, you know, bad shit happens, then you become afraid. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, that, you know, that, that's accurate. Little kids aren't inviting all, you know, the shit that happens to them and so on. But Mm -hmm. if you get past that, um, to a, to a, place in life where you can kind of choose your reactions to things which i think for me is the definition of maturity maturity is when you come to that point in your life where you decide even if it's on a subconscious level you're deciding how you're going to respond to to things you know Mm -hmm. if somebody tells you you're stupid if you're a little kid you just think oh shit i'm stupid whereas if you're a mature person you say well Okay, we're all kind of stupid. We're all kind of intelligent, and I know what I am, and you can call me whatever fucking name you want. It doesn't change anything, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a long-winded way of saying it. But my feeling was like when you're – like I met all these people in India. First time I was in India, and I was amazed. Like everyone in India was talking about their shit all the time. Every morning at breakfast, you know, how are your shit? Is your shit green? Are you – diarrhea? (laughs) you get solid shit, liquid shit? What's – Travelers, not the Indians, you know, they're, I don't know what they're talking about, but travelers were obsessed with their shit. And what I noticed was that the people who were most worried about getting sick were always fucking sick. And the people who were like, yeah, right, you're in India, of course you're going to have the fucking runs, you know, just ignore it, it'll go away. It did, right? So that got me thinking like wh- how stress you know, works into this stuff and expectations and the placebo and the nocebo and all this sort of self-fulfilling stuff. And I noticed like, you know, people who are suspicious about getting robbed, they get robbed all the time. You know, there's an energy that attracts problems. It attracts bad energy to you. It's like a magnetism. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said like a positivity is like a protective shell in a way. Right. Because it, because the people who are looking for trouble, sort of avoid you because you just don't. It doesn't fit. You know, does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah. Well, like you're saying, it's it's kind of like a spiritual path. You can go both ways. On you can you can make it like on a daily basis, like a spiritual practice, or you can uh, begin your descent into oogledom. Uh, yeah. Uh, which a uh, an oogle is in traveling kid terms, basically just a person who doesn't have any respect for their environment or the people around them. And that's when you end up uh, you know, wasted on the street, just like screaming at bankers and, Mm. and, you know, and getting messed with by the cops and getting your buddies in trouble. And
1: so is, is that a sort of a clear community within the, the hobo world? Are there people you meet or they're like, they're on the same sort of path you're on. And then other people are just, just don't have anything else to do.
2: I mean, everybody's like, everybody's different. Um, to me, it's actually really interesting when I meet somebody that seems really unique because, surprisingly, it does get very cliquish and very elitist and very... um So, uh, yeah. But, I mean, there's just, like, so many amazing people out there because they've actually, you know, decided to make that step and, you know, they're just cool people. And then the people that pick you up are cool people right. nine times out of ten, whether they're freaky or, you know, right. whatever.
1: Right. You know. Yeah, i I used to get... I mean, I got like just wonderful people, you know, just, you know, Christians who were like, I'm going to help you because you asked me to, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, a Baha'i woman, I remember gave me like a three day ride in Alaska one time. Um, and then there are a lot of like closeted homosexuals.
2: Oh, yeah. I experienced <laughs> that as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, um, and, uh, and like religious freaks you know like thump, yeah, about buy, yeah they're gonna convert you to whatever the hell it was that mm-hmm. they were selling yeah and then just like lonely people who were so lonely they'd pick up a stranger who you know could potentially be dangerous to have someone to talk to or yeah. to stay awake on a long long drive right yeah 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 so so you talked about a little bit about the elitism what's what's what do you mean by that
2: i, I mean yeah that's that's very much there um I don't know if you if you aren't dirty enough like if you don't wash your hands if you you know don't ride enough trains if you are you know if you're just open to anybody and you're willing to be friends with anybody and like treat people with equal respect there are a lot of people out there who are um, anarchists or very anti-religion or very anti um, having money or a job in any sense of the word and it's sort Mm. of like us against them us against the world uh, basically, and um, so yeah.
1: It's funny how that that happens, isn't it? It's like I, I often think about that in terms of hippies, and how you know, because I've been rejected by hippies my oh, whole yeah. There's
2: life. There's a lot of scorning of hippies.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> then, I'm talking about yeah. hippies scorning uh, me. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that that that's hypocritical. Hippie critical. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>, Hippie critical. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Hey, I'm gonna write that down. I like that. Hippie critical. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the whole idea of being a hippie is that you're accepting and, you know, live and let live and you're cool and whatever. But, you know, like I've been in the hippie thing sort of philosophically and in terms of the drugs I like and, the, you know, the beaches I go to in India and the kind, you know, like I, I, I don't look like a hippie, but I kind of am a super hippie right. inside. Right. So I find myself in these situations where I'll be hanging out with like a bunch of hippies some of whom are my friends and they know me which is why I'm there. Mm-hmm. But then the ones who don't know me, there'll always be like, you know, that super cool dude with the long hair and the, you know, the perfect tie-dye shirt and the whole like he's the ultra hippie and he looks at me like I'm some square who works at the bank and just came in on the weekend, man, you know. And I'm I'm thinking like you are such a dick. If if you lived in Germany in the 30s, you'd be a fucking Nazi. Yeah. Right? And if you lived in in Italy in the medieval period, you'd be a fucking Catholic. You know, uh, uh, what, what were they call it? Who like uh, crusader? You know, it's like you're a follower. You just happen to be following hippies. Everybody
2: wears a uniform. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So <laughs> fuck you, hippie. But because he's not a real hippie, that's what pisses me off. The like, the the uh, sort of fundamentalist hippie. Right. I mean, how can that be? It, it's it's nonsense. Anyway, why am I ranting about hippies? No, no, I... I like hippies. <laughs> I just don't like, you know, elitist hippies.
2: I do, too. I was, uh, yeah, I was really, I was probably kind of anti-hippie, like, when I started traveling. And then the more I've traveled, the more I've been kind of turning into a hippie. Yeah. Which, like, if I had to really choose to align myself with somebody, it'd, it'd probably be more of that, like, you know, because it's just happy, cool people. <laughs> yeah, With open minds. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. The real ones, not the, yeah. n- not the uber hippies. Not the pseudo hippies. Not the hippie crits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So what, What? Uh, four years on the road, where Where have you been? Like you just uh, bouncing all around uh, the United um, States?
2: Yeah, my dog and I, uh, Zooey, we've done about 40 states. Um, and you've
1: had the dog the whole time?
2: I didn't have him when I first set out because I was just nervous about it. I found somebody to watch him. found a friend to watch him. And then pretty soon after that I started taking him with me and I was like oh man at this point I wouldn't do this any other way
1: um, right cuz you can sleep you know you're going he's going to bark if if somebody comes up when you're sleeping
2: yeah he loves people but he's very good about that like about our space basically mm. and then um not so much in getting rides like it can be a hindrance to you getting mm. rides but yeah. just in people receiving you you know like on the street and, or if you're trying to make money, um, the dog is like a big help. And also, it's just, I, I've almost always traveled alone. I've had like a road dog here or there, um, like a traveling companion, rather, not a dog. But um, but it, it's just nice to have yeah. another presence there, right. you know?
1: What kind of dog is he?
2: Uh, he's a little uh, pit bull
1: mix. Yeah, oh, good. He's 11 years old. Oh. <laughs> mm. Well, it's been interesting for him, I'll bet.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And people give you so much shit about. About it, too. Like, they see you, like, homeless, you know, and they just automatically assume you aren't feeding your dog. Right. Um, you know, they assume... They just make all these assumptions, and the truth of the matter is that, like, traveling dogs are just, like, the happiest, because
0: yeah. all
2: they want to do is walk around with their owners all day, <laughs> exactly. and most of these dogs are eating better than, you know, than, yeah. than we are, you know? Well,
1: and the, the worst thing for a dog is boredom. Right. You know? I mean, dogs are hobos. Dogs... That's why dogs don't bury their shit, because... A dog takes a shit, and he knows that he'll be 30 miles from there by morning. Mm-hmm. So why are you going to bury it, right? Whereas cats live in the same area. They they have the same range. So well, they always bury their shit so they don't scare the deer away or whatever they're eating, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Yeah. So <laughs> cats
2: eating deer? <laughs>
1: well, you know, cougars. Oh, or, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking wild cats. The same thing with wolves, right? Wolves don't bury their shit. They just take a dump and keep running, you know? So, yeah, a dog on the road, that's a happy dog right there. Shit so uh now you you said you're uh, you're working odd jobs, do you panhandle as well? I do, yeah, what's that like?
2: Oh man, um I got a lot to say about that uh I don't panhandle all the time um usually, it's when I like really need money or um when I have sort of a specific goal in mind that I need to sort of meet in a short amount of time um but of all the ways that you can make money on the road, like panhandling is pretty much the most consistent way to make the most money um if you find a good spot and you stay there long enough you know you'll make your money um
1: what's a good a good take for a day of panhandling
2: um i'd say if you have a if you have a good spot um between 10 and 20 dollars an hour and then if you're doing if you're doing well it'd be like 30 to 40 dollars an hour fuck yeah i mean i i I do better than a lot of people because there's a lot of guys out there you know that are like old and scraggly with like one leg with like a sign that's like barely big enough to read that just like has like please help scrawl that on Mm it i i i try to make it like a spiritual practice actually um and i try to make people happy i feel like people get as much out of it as i do and i um i kind of like flirt with older women and give people compliments and I enjoy like the small conversations and uh, don't get upset about all the flack that gets thrown your way. Because yeah. my buddy, the first time he ever did it, he said within like 15 minutes he was like on the verge of tears. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, just, you get you just get especially when there's just thousands of people passing you. You get so scorned and like yeah. you know people you know scream at you and sometimes and throw things at you. Really? but Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but, what do they uh, scream? Get a job.
2: In some, I mean, I've heard much more uh, elaborate. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, give but, me an example. Like, what's really funny is that, like, this one time, this guy was just going off on me, and I was like really trying to like grit my teeth and not come back at him because, again, I'm just, I'm like, I'm trying to make people happy. I'm trying to make this like a positive thing, like a give and take, and. uh other cars like came to my aid and started like yelling at him. You know, they're just like, "This is America, man! You can do whatever the fuck he wants You know, and then like I think like some guys like followed him <laughs> and like harassed him. But he was he was like just spouting vitriol.
1: So you're at a red light or something? Yeah, people got driving by. Oh, fuck, really? Yeah, totally.
2: And and was, for do you me, remember? Was
1: was he a white guy, a black guy? Yeah. Or he,
2: okay. I'm not saying anything about this, but he was like a white guy in like a in like a dress shirt, yeah. like driving a nice car
1: <laughs> now i've heard i've never panhandled per se. I have asked strangers for money
0: mm-hmm.
1: actually, that was my one uh train hopping experience. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that in a minute, but um but uh what I've heard from friends of mine who have is that you get more money from poor people than you get from rich people.
2: Absolutely. Well, you you get into this habit of looking at the cars and sort of very quickly sizing them up. Right. Um, And the thing is that occasionally you'll get the really nice car where the person hands you like a $20 bill. Hmm. But for the most part, it's just a numbers game. It's just people giving you a little bit of change, a dollar, and that's just accrued over however many people are pulling off on this ramp. And so like... It's not a big deal for one person to give you a dollar, but they might have been hesitant to give you that dollar. um, And then you make them feel really good about it. You make it like a positive experience for them. And then, you know, they're more inclined to help people in the future. Right. And then also, like, you give back. Like, you you kick other homeless people down and, you know, you share. There's like a reciprocity that exists. Oh, really? Yeah, um, among members of the homeless and traveling community that... um, aren't on the other side of the spectrum that's just all about like me against the world
1: you know like- tell me about that how's that work so you go out you have a good day you, you come back with a hundred bucks you, you have like a camp where you're, where you're with other people is that generally like if you're on the road are you in a in an area where other homeless people are camping as well or are you it, on your own
2: it just depends like if i'm traveling i tend to keep to myself um, if I do go around other people, I'll just sort of like hang out until it's, you know, time for me to go to bed and then I'll go back to my spot, you know, and people are kind of secretive about, you know, where they stay and,
0: yeah.
2: um, but also sometimes you're under bridges with like 12 other guys, right. um, or they're what they call jungles, which are like these like camps along the railroad tracks or in the woods where large communities of people exist and they all share food and, um, and, uh. Yeah, like, one of my first experiences with that was meeting this pack of train kids. It was, like, seven guys, and they, like, shared everything, like, down to the last. They would have, like, a cup, you know, that was full of whatever they were drinking, probably, like, whiskey and Coke or something. And they would just go sip for sip all the way around, and somebody's like, well, oh, I got this awesome burrito out of the trash. And they go bite for bite, and somebody's like, I have a cigarette. And they go puff for puff, just mm. all around the circle, you know. And so, um, Yeah.
1: That's funny. That, that goes very deep in, in human experience. I remember reading uh, uh, an anthropologist talking about, I, th- I think he was living with uh, people in um, Amazon, and he talked about uh, how complicated it was. I think this was the Pinaha people, actually, and somebody gave one of them a cigarette, and there were like f- four of them. Uh, there and you know, as a gift, he gave one of them a cigarette, and he immediately broke it into four pieces. <laughs> so yeah. each of them had this tiny little unsmokable stub of a cigarette.
0: Should've just
2: passed it around, <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. But that idea of like everybody gets a share is so deep in our genes, yeah. And the way we're living now is so fucking unnatural, you know. And uh yeah, so. So, I can imagine, and well, and I felt it myself, a very sort of there's like a deep comfort in in living that way, in yeah. helping each other, and in not like in i mean I know you're protecting your stuff, you've got a backpack, you've got some stuff in there, you don't want to lose it,
2: and it will get stolen,
1: yeah eventually yeah that's the thing you got to be willing to be naked like you got to be willing to let go of everything and know that you'll you'll find another one you know you'll get another samsung or whatever it is you need right yeah so have you been robbed a few times uh
2: yeah i've never lost my pack i've been robbed of individual items uh got my guitar stolen particularly bad time in Arcata, california where i got like a bacterial infection and got my guitar stolen like that same week and was sick um but uh i've never gotten my pack stolen and that's something that i hear a lot about which is why that's like the one thing that doesn't leave me um Mm. i'm very cautious of the dog i'm always aware of the dog and i'm always aware of my pack and my guitar yeah um Beyond that, like, you know, I don't really worry too
1: much. I was on a train in India once and I was like sleeping, getting ready to sleep on this, uh, you know, like a little bed, a fold down bed that they have. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It wasn't a private car or anything. It was like second class people everywhere. And I had my backpack under my knees. Mm -hmm. And the guy below on the other side said, you're not going to be comfortable like that. Do you want me to put your bag under the bottom bunk here? and i was like well yeah i guess it'd be all right there and i had a lock and i locked it to this chain the support so nobody could steal it it was locked closed Mm -hmm. and it was under the bottom bunk what i didn't know was that the wall only went down to the bunk and below the bunk there were just these bars and the but the wall goes all the way down and then under the bottom bunk it's just bars going down so he went around to the other side at night, slipped under the other guy's bunk with a flashlight and a razor blade, sliced open the side of my backpack and went through and took whatever he wanted.
2: Yeah, that's how they do it. Yeah, they, they, they cut it open. <laughs>
1: shit. So even if they don't take your backpack, he, it was unusable. And he took all my shit out, which actually was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I was carrying around all this bullshit I didn't need in India on a you know 70-pound backpack after that i couldn't fix it so i threw it away i got a shoulder bag and carried what was left which was like you know a pair of shorts and a hat <laughs> <You Right. know? laughs> and, and that's all and i realized like but i didn't need any of that shit you know that's cool yeah yeah anyway uh what are we talking about we're talking about lessons learned on the road getting robbed have you ever like cuz you you find that there is like a circuit, right? You know, you sort of like, oh, in the cold weather, a lot of people will go to Ashland or True. they'll go to, you know, one place or another because the cops are cool or there's a train you can take where you won't get hassled. Yeah,
2: it's more based on the weather. Like, everybody goes south to right. places like Tucson or Austin or Florida. Um,
1: so do you run into the same people?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really cool thing. Like, mm. when, like, two years later, you run into somebody that made a big impression on you...
1: So what what kinds of things do you think you've learned from this experience that you would not have learned if you had just sort of taken the normal track and you know went to college and all that?
2: <laughs> kind of like everything um, I've developed skills, skill sets in trades, um, emotional, interpersonal skills, um, I just become a stronger. I feel like more well-rounded person.
1: Mm. So it has been a very educational experience for you, you think?
2: Extremely, yeah.
1: Have you have you been in touch with your parents while you've been doing this?
2: Oh yeah, I'm I'm very in touch with my family.
1: And what do they think about it?
2: Huh. Um, <laughs> well, I'd kind of already been doing my own thing for a while, and when I first started traveling, I waited until I had left Texas and made it to Florida before I sprung the news on them. And um, they were actually really cool with it. Really? Yeah. The only thing that, that I get a lot is, um, when you come back to Texas, you know,
1: are you the youngest?
2: I'm the youngest by 12 years.
1: By 12? Yes. Wow. So there are what? Two, two siblings older than you?
2: Yes. One, I think 40 and the other one like 38.
1: And then a long gap and then you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the same thing. My, my wife, same same thing she's got three siblings closely bunched and then I think 11 years in her cool yeah yeah her, her experience was like she had five parents mm-hmm. you know because her brothers and sisters were so much older than her and it was almost like they were her parents you know they took care of her and then the parents were more like grandparents because they were way older yeah she's She's got some interesting sort of family dynamics there. So they so your parents are not uh angry at you or feel like you're ruining your life or you're wasting your time or something?
2: No, I mean I, I get like some suspicion from them every now and then or um not not really. No. I, That's great. Yeah. Hmm. It was kind of surprising to me, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising to me. Because I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep of the family right. for a number of reasons.
1: Hmm. <laughs> So what about um like you're talking about interpersonal stuff. Do you do you feel uh is it a sacrifice not to have stability where you can develop uh like a long-term kind of deep intimate relationship in your life or you don't really feel that's a problem?
2: That's not been the case in fact. Um my I have a lovely ex um, I say X cause it really just kind of depends on the day, <laughs> but we've, uh, we've been together on and off for four years. Mm. Um, most beautiful girl in the world. Um, but interestingly, probably like a year and a half to two years of that relationship, we've either been traveling our separate ways or, um, or we did travel together for a little bit. Mm. Um, and, uh, like one of the cool things about traveling is you have the opportunity to have these really potent relationships within like sort of strict confines um, uh, that just end, you know? And, uh, and then also you, you also form like what I hope to be like lifelong friendships. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's true that the intensity of being on the road is amazing because of that, because you're, so conscious of the fact that this moment isn't going to happen again, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the variables, there's so many variables. You know, we're here, the, it's a nice day, you know, this situation, we got some money, this worked out yesterday, got a nice ride here, whatever. The, there are so many things that come together to create this one moment that uh you know it's never going to happen again, so that sort of creates this intensity of focus i I think that I really miss, because when you have a when you have a day where one day's pretty much like the next, you can just sort of glide through it and not really pay attention right yeah yeah, yeah.
2: I, I've definitely felt like a sense of responsibility mm. like in certain situations with people, you know, like I have this time, and yeah, I feel obligated to put as much of my self-individues.
1: Yeah. Do you get people, uh, a lot of people ask you about uh, Into the Wild?
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it's always Into the Wild or On the Road.
1: Right, On o- the Road.
2: <laughs> on the Road, like, particularly missed me because, like, like I I like it. Kerouac's a great writer. My favorite book is by him is Big Sur. But the really funny thing to me is, like, he got this international celebrity for what he was doing. But there are so many, like, Fifteen-year-olds, seventeen-year-olds out there now who are on a daily basis doing way more than than Kerouac did. He's yeah. like always asking his mom for money and right. like showing up at her place or his friend's place. When he took a lot of buses and like those things are like kind of unthinkable to some kids <laughs> on the road
1: these days. So what's is hopping trains like a high glamour kind of thing? Is that is that the coolest way to get around?
2: Yeah, I'd say so.
1: And you said earlier at the coffee shop, you said you don't want to get too much into the sort of technicalities because it's kind of like a like a martial arts teacher teaching people the secret uh, secret strikes without them going through the initiation process. I mean, I'm saying that you didn't say that, but right? That's how I think of it. Like, because these are hard won lessons, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't want to like just throw them out there for everybody. It's
2: well. I mean, more than that, it's it's like you don't want because it is dangerous. Um, thank you. It's like because it is dangerous, um, and it's like a tight knit community. M- more than anything, you just don't want people blowing up your spots, right? And um, sort of ruining it for everybody else, uh, which happens a lot in a lot of situations yeah. on the road.
1: Yeah. Because some losers come and make a lot of noise or throw garbage all over the place or whatever, and then yeah. people are looking for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I hopped a train once. It was um... actually no, I've hopped more than one, but th- this one stands out in my memory because I was I was standing by this lake, smoking a joint, and this train came around the lake and it slowed down because it, it was a Finger Lake in Upstate New York. These long, thin lakes. It was coming around the end, so it had to really slow down to get around this tight curve. I was just standing there, and I was stoned out of my gourd, and this train was going, and I was just like, fuck, I could just, just grab onto this. And so I just ran along and grabbed on. And I thought I'd ride it down a few hundred meters or whatever and then jump off. And of course, typical situation, it started going just slightly faster and slightly (laughs) faster. And I wasn't really noticing. And then by the time I noticed, it was like, I don't know if I want to jump off now. You know, again, I'm still stoned, right? Good decision. Yeah. And then I, uh, okay, because it's all rocks and, you know, I just fall and roll down the hill. So I thought, well, it'll slow down a little bit. I'll just, you know, and then I'll hitch back. Well, the fucking train kept going for like five hours before it stopped. It was the middle of the night. I had no idea where I was. I had no money. I had no ID. I, cause I was just like, you know, w- taking a walk, smoking a joint, and then I was going to go back to my dorm room and study. Instead, I ended up five hours away. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was fun though. But I mean, I love being on trains because and I did this in India a lot too, because the train goes into private places. Right. You know, like you can't see into people's houses from an interstate highway. But when you're on the train it goes like right next to their kitchen window and you can see them in there, you know, washing the dishes and it's it's amazing how tightly people live next to trains.
2: Yeah, well that's like an amazing thing about hopping trains in America is like in America our population density versus like land that we have. Yeah. Um, you know, the trains go through all the places that you can't get to by car, that you can't mm. walk to, that you can't, you know, like it really takes you through some wild places.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it is it still dangerous to hop trains? You still get like uh, beat up by the guys, the what are they called? Yard dogs or whatever? Uh bulls. Bulls, right.
2: Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's very dangerous and there's a lot of ways to die on a train. Yeah. Um but uh I feel like if you if you go into it with a a good knowledge of what to expect and what cars are safe to ride, what cars are not, um then you know there there are some people who will talk about riding trains like it's nothing you know like right. it's it's easy you know and it can be I mean there are people who like live and breathe trains you know and they're just you know they're just like so in sync with that but you, you go on there w- without enough knowledge and you can end up <laughs> yeah
1: yeah you can suffering of fall off you can freeze to death you can, can get, get the trapped shit in a car you.
2: you can get coal dumped on you yeah. you can get
1: yeah when I was doing it a lot of people said you no know, this is 25 30 years ago probably so I'm sure it's changed but the thing then was you wanted to get on a um, car uh, an auto car that had car new cars because they le- the keys were in the ignition and they all and had a little unit, gas yeah yes. is
2: this the, the- you're talking about the ones the conductors ride in.
1: Uh, no, Sometimes. no, no, no. I'm talking about like a- actual cars. Like, like they'd have a bunch of BMWs. Oh, oh right,
2: yeah. You know, <laughs>
1: and you get in there, and they were all unlocked. So you get in, you can t- turn on the car if it's cold. You mm-hmm. can run the heater for a while. <laughs> you can listen to the radio. You can sleep. You know, it's really comfortable. Yeah. The problem is if if you're sleeping and you get caught in there, you're in fucking trouble. But yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well,
2: y- there's a lot... You-, you can get in a lot of trouble. I mean, there are, like... I mean, you can get charged for a federal crime, um, especially depending on where you are in the country in relation to other places, like around the borders. Um, really? And uh, usually, I feel like if, if you're respectful, uh, they just let you go, they just kick you out. Yeah. Um. I I think people rarely get beat up anymore, yeah. even though I'm sure it happens. Um. But, uh, you know, you do stand to get like a pretty steep ticket, yeah. um, you know, and you might not be welcome back in a place. And <laughs> some people just roll around just accruing like massive amounts of these tickets, you know, and they just go to jail on the regular. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So are there any, any days or nights or, or journeys that stand out in your memory from the last few years of your life?
2: Oh, um, so many,
1: so many, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's funny. Do you ever feel? You ever feel like? Um, how can I say this? Like someone who's really like filthy rich. They've got you know the house with too many bedrooms and bathrooms and a six car garage and you know like three swimming pools and na 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 Every once in a while, that person must, if they've got any decency at all, they must just look around and say this is ridiculous you know i don't need all this shit this is crazy i wish i could just you know give most of this stuff to someone who needs it you know but for various reasons they don't or they can't or whatever do you ever feel that in terms of experience you ever feel like there's something unfair about the fact that i'm having so many of these great experiences do you know like i was hanging out with this guy you, you know who dan savage is
2: Sounds familiar. He's
1: a, a sex advice columnist. He's a funny, amazing guy. Anyway, I was with him in New York and we did this event together, and then we, you know, went to this crazy party with you know all these crazy people, and then we went to here and then we went there, and then we're up on the rooftop of this hotel watching the sunset over New Jersey and talking about life and and I remember because he's he's famous. He's seriously famous, not like my level of fame. He's way way more famous than I am. And he's, like, always doing interesting shit. He's been invited to the White House. He's, like, you know, he's that kind of... And I said to him, like, don't you ever feel like every meal you eat is some fucking five-star amazing restaurant and you never just have rice and beans anymore? You know, you never just, like, have a normal day or week or month where you can look back at how wild your life is and digest it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because sometimes when I was when I was traveling that way, and and even now in in different ways, I feel like like sometimes it's too intense. There's too much interesting stuff happening. I almost wish I almost miss the opportunity to be bored.
2: Yeah. Well, what I've found too is that, I mean, a lot of that comes with traveling the way I, myself and other people travel, um, and many times it's not unlike other styles of life like with its doldrums and its highs and lows i've just found it to be a lot more fulfilling um yeah
1: have you noticed any sort of diminishing returns is it less fulfilling now than it was two years ago
2: no it's just it's just different i think when i first started i was really gung-ho about like never taking (laughs) you know the bus always like hitchhiking or hopping a train or something and um it just eventually you know you get tired of it and you're like i don't want to hitchhike i'll go on craigslist and see if i can hmm. find a ride or a lot of people that a lot, that's the reason a lot of people end up riding trains mm. is because they're sick of hitchhiking <laughs> yeah because they never really enjoyed it to begin with even
1: yeah yeah so how long do you see yourself uh living this way
2: uh indefinitely really Yeah, I mean, I I see myself, like, settling down for a time. That's what I'm going to be doing in North Carolina here soon. Hmm. Um, But, yeah, I... Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because I've just met so many people that have been doing it their entire lives, and they're, like, 70. And they're still hitchhiking and hopping trains. Yeah. Um, So it's not something that age necessarily bars you from. Yeah. And it's something that I'll always you know, be fond of. So And it's also just a very practical way to get around if you know how to do it, you know? Yeah. Even if you don't know how to do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Figure it out.
2: You figure it out. Yeah. You learn quick. That's
1: have people like taken you under their wing and sort of hey kid, let me let me explain something to you here, you know, like show you the ropes.
2: Um, no, because I think when I started traveling I was very I was I was very nervous and I was very um suspicious of people. Um and that was actually a good thing because it allowed me to, you know, form all my opinions about things, you know, kinda standing at a distance and then like years later, you know, I've gotten my feet wet and I know what I'm doing and I've been able to watch all the mistakes that other people have made. Uh so but I guess I guess really just the right person didn't come along, you know. I've mostly traveled yeah. by myself, so.
1: Do you feel like? Do you feel like you meet more sort of dangerous characters living this sort of life than you would in a more conventional life, or do you think the ratio of, uh, you know, decent people to to uh, parasites or sharks is the same pretty much everywhere?
2: Um. No, I mean I think it's really more a matter of. Like, people aren't necessarily dangerous to begin with. You never know who somebody's going to be by the end of the night, basically.
1: Because they're drinking, Because they're drinking, because
2: you know, people flip flop, you know, like they have their ideas on, um, on sort of the ethics of being on the road tend to like go back and forth, you know, um, there are some people who, like we were talking about earlier, find it just like deplorable to steal from other homeless people, and then there are some people who say, like, "Well, that's just part of the game, I steal from you, you steal from me, mm. and depending on what the situation is, like that can shift um the truth of the matter is there's a lot of uh a lot of uh substance abuse um and a lot of violence that happens but if I've found that if you can carry yourself respectfully and to sort of read the signs and read people, then you always know like when to say goodbye hmm. or when you need to sort of placate a situation. Right. Um, yeah, so...
1: Would you say a lot of people are armed?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, too armed, if you ask me. That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, uh, we talked about, like, Oogles and uh, elitist trained kids, and a lot of them are carrying, like, K-bar you know like tactical fixed blade knives on their belt or some of them are even carrying guns i mean and there are a couple of states where you can travel you know with a concealed weapon really i don't i don't know about concealed but some people i've i've known people that carry guns um but uh yeah i'm not i'm not really down with it i kind of had a, a close encounter in tucson uh where a guy attacked me and i came very close to actually stabbing him and i realized how much shit that might have meant for me if it actually had happened. And from that time on I stopped carrying um you know like these like more deadly knives on me. I have like yeah. a, I have a leatherman that I use every day and it's got yeah. kind of, like a good little knife on it that if it really came down to it I could use, but I don't think about it like being on me.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean that's a universal tool. You could like plier someone to death with it or <laughs> yeah. file them down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I carried a knife. I, I mentioned in the cafe we were talking about this whole thing in Alaska where I went to prison. The main reason I went to prison was I had a knife in my boot.
0: Oh, man. so I, concealed, yeah.
1: Yeah, but in Alaska that was okay mm. in those days. I had a knife in my boot and weed in my pocket, both of which were technically legal in Alaska, hmm. but they were enough that the cop decided I was a troublemaker and he was going to teach me a lesson and yada, yada, yada. So... Yeah, and I carried that knife, man, I had that knife for probably 10 years. Always inside my right boot. And then I was hitching down from Montreal to New York through the Adirondack Mountains, which I guess, you know, you went I've been through. there, yeah. yeah. And uh man, lonely in the middle of nowhere, black bear country, you know. <laughs> and this dude picked me up. I think I've told this story elsewhere on the podcast, so I won't I won't bore people by going into detail. But basically, the, this guy picked me up. Military looking dude, crew cut, you know, muscular, tattoos. And he said, "I get into the car and we're chatting a little bit." And he says, "So you like knives?" I said, "Oh, well, I, I guess." What do you mean? He said, "Well, I noticed you've got a knife in your right boot." How the fuck did he see that? Right. It's inside my jeans, right? Mm-hmm. Against my leg in a tight boot. There's fuck. So I start like, "Oh yeah, you know, that's just cuz I'm hitching and you never know what kind of, you know, situation might come up." And uh, and he says, "Oh yeah, that's cool. I like knives too." And he reaches to his belt buckle and pulls out this fucking knife and it's in my face. He's like,
0: "Yeah." Uh.
1: and I was like wow this is it this is where i die <laughs> cuz i'm you know this lonely highway it's like dusk you know and uh and it, but it was a beautiful knife and the handle was his belt buckle mm-hmm. right it sort of slipped in under his belt and i said yeah that's a nice belt can i or a nice uh, knife can i can i hold it and he said yeah sure and i you know took it from him like whoa that's funky. that's cool man I gave it back. He's like, "Yeah, I got another one here." Hello? And he had like three knives on him. Anyway, he was a prison guard mm-hmm. at uh, Attica, this big, you know, high-security prison up there. And, you know, that was my moment. Like for you it was almost stabbing that guy. For me it was realizing I thought I had a secret, mm-hmm. but anyone like a, co- a real a cop, a criminal, anyone who's in that world, Mm-hmm. They look at me and they see the knife. Like I'm fucking naked. They see it. Yeah, Well, I see if he
2: if he like actually had wanted to do something to you, he probably wouldn't have shown you the knife. Which is why, like, if oh, I yeah. if, if I feel like I'm in a dangerous situation, I take my knife off my belt and put it in my pocket because it, it's like seventy percent more effective when it's concealed, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. But I mean, for me, it was more like I I realized what an amateur I was. <laughs> And that there are professionals. Right. You know? And it's like the difference between like, oh, you're pretty good at basketball down at the park on Saturday versus, you know, the NBA. Like, you're nowhere near. Forget it, man. You know? I don't care. You, You know, you're good with your friends. There are people who are in another world, you know? And so me walking around with some, you know, suburban douchebag with a knife in his belt thinking he's cool and like i'm gonna pull it out and like yeah what's gonna happen i'm gonna pull it out they're gonna take it from me and stab me with it that's what's gonna happen right you know so that was my moment where i i said okay i'm safer without a weapon
2: yeah i feel like if you really feel you might be in danger like mace is a much better yeah option yeah exactly (laughs) just
1: like everybody's immobilized Yeah. yeah Yeah. So okay, uh do you have any advice for people who are listening to this cuz I know there are some people as I said earlier in the cafe. There are people listening to this some of whom have a shitty job. They're in their 20s and they're they're like an inch from quitting their job and just like hitting the road. What what would you say to them?
2: Uh there's three things. Um one is that you can definitely do it like I don't care who you are. You, you women can, too?
1: You don't worry about women on the oh, road. Oh, I've
2: met some really badass uh girls on the road. Um and I I'm sure it is less safe, but it it's all about how you carry yourself and how vigilant you are and and you know, I know a lot of girls who travel with like
0: pit bulls and mm.
2: or or just who travel with friends and and buddies. It really doesn't matter who you are, you can do it and then I guess three things one would be uh, and we're talking about all this dangerous stuff, but it, the U S is really not as scary a place as you think, assuming you're not, you know, in like Compton or something, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, uh, if you're, if you're too frightened and too nervous, like you can, you can really hinder yourself. Yeah. So as long as you you know, follow some basic rules that you set for yourself and, uh, you know, stay vigilant. Um, yeah, it's not, not as scary as you think. Uh, and
1: that's because of the media. That That's something oh, I noticed, man, too. Yeah.
2: Nobody hitchhikes anymore. All this yeah. crazy stuff happened in the world. Like, 9-11 has nothing to do with, <laughs> <laughs> with <anything>. hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Terrorists aren't targeting hitchhikers. You know, terrorists aren't hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? like, like, you're
1: going to hitchhike down to the Pentagon and blow that shit up. Yeah. Yeah, I read a statistic that so. said
2: you're more likely to die from accidentally falling than you are to be murdered. Um, hitchhiking uh, yeah. it's lightning like, strikes yes
1: you're more more likely to like slip on a dog turd and break your neck than you are to be you know killed by a terrorist fuck yeah but yeah you're right there's this culture of fear and and you know i you get it internationally as well like india oh, i would never go to india oh my god you're gonna catch <laughs> dengue fever you're gonna oh there's shit everywhere if you go to india it's fucking beautiful and wonderful and great yeah. No. Yeah. The world is far more generous and safe than we're led to believe.
2: And you're going to see that when you actually put yourself out there. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: So that's really good advice. So that was was that number one or number, number two? Number one. Number two. Oh, number one was anyone can do it.
2: Anyone? Well, no. Anyone can do it. Yeah. But uh, number one is just don't 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 be too freaked out. Right. Um. Uh. And then two, never take one man's word. <laughs> uh on anything
1: including you. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Uh always get a second, a third, a fourth opinion and then make your decision based on your own instincts. Mm. Because if you don't, people will send you in the, <laughs> into the wrong place at the wrong time or they'll steer you away from some really great experiences. Um yeah, yeah. You you, you really just have to use your own instincts and a combination of different people's you know, experiences.
1: That's good advice.
2: Because people will talk shit up and down about a place or say this place is great, you know, or say you should go this way or you should go that way, you should stand here, you should, you know.
1: Yeah. You just never know. And people don't like saying I don't know. Yeah. You know, you're, you're asking someone for some advice. They want to help you. They want to be the guy who can, or the woman who can give you what you need. So even if they don't know, they'll just make some shit up. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily bad intention, it's just the way the world is you're right, yeah. yeah yeah all right so uh you anyone can do it, keep your shit together, keep cool, and uh always uh triangulate from the information of various sources
2: and then the third thing is always expect to end up in a shitty situation ah. <laughs> the, the The more that you prepare yourself for that mentally, the less miserable you'll be maybe you might even be happy i mean got some beer you know like it's it's all good um but yeah like you're eventually everybody ends up in a ditch everybody ends up (laughs) freezing in the rain everybody ends up in an uncomfortable situation or or robbed or um and uh yeah just being being prepared for that uh both and how you pack and how you plan your travel, but but more than anything, just like, you know, just being prepared for those things to happen. Because it's just part of it, you know?
1: You know, I was reading this thing today. Uh, it was a paper about the psychology of happiness. And they were talking about how people get much more happiness from uh, experiences, Versus things. Mm-hmm. So if you've got, let's say you got five thousand dollars, you can buy, uh, you know, a new whatever. You know, I was gonna say a car. You can't really buy a car for five thousand dollars, but you can buy oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, whatever. You can buy a used car, right? or you can whatever. You can spend that five thousand dollars on some stuff, a new TV, and a, you know this and that and whatever. Or you can spend that money like fly to Kenya and climb Mount Kilimanjaro or whatever. The amount of happiness you get is going to be so much more from the experience than it is from the thing, even if the experience itself sucks. Hmm. Because the thing about experience is, it can be so bad it's good, right? Because you're like, oh man, we went to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, it oh, fucking yeah. snowed, and then these rhinos came, and you got a really good story out of it, right? Plus, you shared it with someone that you're probably closer to now because of that shitty experience.
2: Right, I've I've told people these stories like oh man all this crazy stuff happened and like oh, it was so bad and blah blah. blah. And i'm just like so excited when i'm telling them the story and they're like the end of it i'm like it was awesome and they're like that sounds terrible it <laughs> is like no like you know like, you're, you're you're testing your limits and yeah, yeah you survived it <laughs> you survived it yeah every, it every winter is like a little challenge yeah yeah it's, it's and
1: every spring is a fucking victory man you hell know you yeah. made it through <laughs> You feel it. That's the thing about about being close to the, the bone there. You feel stuff. You know, like this book I'm working on now, I've said this before, but one of the keys to it is that in Spanish, the word aislar means to isolate and to insulate, right? So we try to insulate ourselves. We wear jackets you know, we buy insurance, we live in heated houses and all this, you know, we're, we're we're constantly building these protective layers around ourselves to insulate ourselves from problems and discomfort. And, you know, you're talking about getting stuck in the rain and in the ditch and you got nowhere and it's, you're tired and you got nowhere to sleep. And, you know, it's like, ah, this sucks, man. We're trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. But we're shooting ourselves in the foot because... It's precisely that discomfort that makes us feel alive, mm-hmm. right? Right. It doesn't make us feel alive to go down to fucking Trader Joe's, buy some food, come home, throw it in the microwave, cook it, and eat it. Like, who gives a shit? And
2: if it does?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if it does, good for you, yeah, man, yeah, you, you know? go. like, but But generally, it doesn't. Whereas if you're really hungry and you're, like, hunting and you, like, kill a fucking squirrel or whatever it is and, like... It matters. The greatest shower I ever took was—I re- I remember it so perfectly because there was no shower. It was like I had to heat the water and dump it in this bucket and mix it with the cold water and this whole. It took like two hours to get the shower together, mm. and because it took so long, I'd only shower like once or twice a week, you know, or dump this bucket over my head. But man, when you dump that bucket over your head after waiting a week to take a shower and two hours to get the water temperature right. Holy shit! Was that a great feeling? Whereas now I just walk in there, turn the handle, and like I don't even notice I'm in the shower. You know. Oh, yeah. So good on you, man. You're out there. You're living the dream.
3: <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> That's good. No, I, I feel that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, is there a way that do you have a blog, or is there a way for people to like uh, get in touch with you, or send you send you money, or anything like that?
2: <laughs> uh no i'm i'm working on all that stuff because I, I do wanna write a book uh like a nonfiction book um, so about
1: your experiences doing this
2: uh not no not a memoir like i'm you know not the first person to do this by any means um so uh uh but yeah um i guess i'm on facebook a i d a n Rayleigh, r a l e y uh okay. i also have some music up online mm-hmm. at uh bandcamp i'm gonna put up a soundcloud uh, I play a lot of music on the street and stuff too. So Bandcamp slash Alexandrian Lanes, Alexandrian Lanes, and um, that album is for sale for whatever you know people want to pay for it oh, or nothing. That's cool. Yeah. So
1: Alexandrian Lanes, L A N E S. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Good. Well, go check out that album and uh, drop some change in the jar, ladies and gentlemen. Keep this man on the road. <laughs> And, uh, thanks for doing this. It's, it's, uh, it's cool to, to get a chance to talk to somebody who's doing, you know, we see, if you live in any major city, you see people doing what you're doing every day, but we don't uh, often stop and talk to them and hear what it's like to be on the other side.
2: Right. Like this never stopped, you know, since the great depression, people have always been doing this. Like it might've taken something of a hiatus, you know, since the sixties or whatever, Yeah. but we're all, we're out here. There's, thousands maybe millions of us
1: <laughs> are you do you find a lot of people your age or is it mostly older people
2: it runs the gamut but uh as far as people train hopping um and uh like continuously hitchhiking yeah they're they're more younger than the traveling kids but there's i mean yeah there are people that have been doing this since you know the 50s and you yeah. know and yeah
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I I think you're right. I think there's a resurgence of it. I think it's it's something, because when I was doing it, like next to nobody, it was like me and the older people, Mm -hmm. you know, who had been doing it since the 60s. But there weren't a lot of people my age uh, out there. And now it seems like because of the economic situation and the whole, you know, the way things are, a lot of people are just checking out uh, who weren't, you know, in the 80s necessarily. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man.
2: Thank you so much.